We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. We've been dealing with the series, The Christ Conscious Believer. We're 10 parts in. (laughs) So today becomes part 11. And, And I'm really trusting again, I'm hoping that those of you who are part of our local church, both uh, physically as well as virtually, are taking these teachings seriously. Because like I said, when I started a few weeks ago, it forms the, the bedrock of everything about your faith. It informs everything. It, it brings everything together. It amalgamates everything about your faith, everything about what um, the, you're called into, everything about your, your new creation reality, your reality in Christ, your in Christ reality. It, it wraps your entire experience together in one series of teachings. Of course, you know that the message is one. Christ is not a message of the scriptures. Christ is the message of the scriptures. And all we are called to preaches Christ. Christ as what? Christ as a person, right? Christ as a system, Christ as a message, and Christ as a nature. Christ as the person, Christ as the nature, remember? And of course, Christ the message, uh, as in the message of Christ, what Christ preached. So we preach Christ as a person. We preach Christ as a nature. We also preach Christ as the message. In other words, we preach the message that Christ preached, and then we preach the system of Christ. We took time to explain that that's what it means to be Christ conscious as a believer. And of course, there's nothing you can do. The level to which you will grow in God, the level to which you will mature in Christ is a measure to which you are and the level to which you are conscious. And to be conscious, we explained, means to be aware of and to respond appropriately to what you have become aware of. So you can be a believer, you can have something, you can partake something, you can have a right to something, have a privilege to something, have an opportunity to something, get a chance at something, be allowed to do something and yet not maximize it because you are not conscious of it and even in some other extreme cases you find that what you are not conscious of can work to your detriment because where purpose is not known abuse is inevitable you know so it's important to come into the consciousness Christ consciousness is, is a crucial, crucial, crucial element of our, of our new creation reality. It, it wraps everything together. And the reason why a lot of believers are struggling and, and even sometimes even arguing with stuff is because we have not become conscious. And so today is our seventh uh, indicator of the Christ conscious believer. And that is that the Christ conscious believer values and submits to discipleship. Say after me, the Christ conscious believer... Values and submits to discipleship. So the Christ conscious believer values discipleship and therefore submits to discipleship. Now this is very crucial because we're in an age right now where there is a lot of noise concerning the state of the church. And I, I'm, I'm going to do everything as the Lord helps me to stick to the tenets of, of this particular point um, so that I can, I, can, I can do as much justice as the Lord will help me do it. Um, but we're in an age where there is such a subtle and, and it's gone from subtle to blatant, flagrant perversion of the liberties that we have in Christ. 
of the perversions of the gospel of grace that we have. So there are two extremes. And I'm going to say this later on in the teaching, but let me just say that straight away at the beginning because that's how I feel led to do it. Do not punish where you are now on account of what where you were did to you. I heard that clearly in my office this morning. I'll repeat it again. And this is a broad, applicable, broadly applicable um, um, principle, including, of course, your spiritual work, but everything about your life. Do not punish where you are now because of what where you were did to you. In other words, where you are now is a suspect that is guilty until proven innocent because of something that happened to you where you used to be. You are in a relationship now and you are closed off to it and this person has to work his way through or walk her way through because guess what, honey? You were in a relationship that went nuts and the second and third one went nuts and you've just, and it just might have been that your head wasn't screwed on properly at the time. It just may have been that you were a product of the environment and the influences around you. It just may have been that you went into relationships trying to figure it out by yourself in the absence of accountability to people that could have governed the relationship for you. It could have been a function of misplaced timing or, or misplaced priorities. It could have also been a function of your stupidity because yes, honey, you know the truth of the matter is you and I at one point or the other have exhibited a lot of stupidity a lot it could have been a function of not of naivety of not having known better a function of things but you know the funny thing about us especially people around this part of the world is we are quick to blame somebody else for our misfortune something is responsible for your relationship breakdown somebody from your village is responsible your best friend that was looking at your man one way or the other is responsible your uncle that we are always looking for somebody outside ourselves to blame for something. And what that does is it preconditions our mind so that moving forward, because you have successfully developed a thought process, developed a paradigm that has been able to lay hold on certain things and blame them conveniently for where you are, moving forward, whatever happens to you pays the price for whatever happened to you. I repeat, moving forward, whatever happens to you moving forward, pays the price for whatever happened to you. So you then begin to bring to bear upon what is happening to you now, the effect and the results and the outcome and even the pain of what happened to you. So you're moving forward but stuck in the past. So in doing that, you are punishing your today and tomorrow on account of how terrible you believe your yesterday was to you. And even when it is good, scripture tells you to forsake the things that are behind. You think it was every, when Paul was saying forsaking the things that are behind, you, do you realize he wasn't talking about, he wasn't talking about bad things? Because earlier on he had listed those things. You know, I was born of a good pedigree. I understood the law. I was, I was well educated. You know, I, I had a good social status. I had reckoning in, in society. But I count whatever things were of, of profit to me, I count them, Philippians 3, as what? As dung for the excellency of the gospel. This one thing I do, forsaking those things that are behind. Now, if Paul could forsake the good things that were behind, to press forward to the mark of the calling of the, of the price of the high calling in Christ Jesus, how much more the bad things? Let's bring that home to discipleship. A lot of us struggle with spiritual authority because you have been under a pastor that abused you. 
And so now you are in church, but you are guarded. Uh, don't tell me about submitting to anybody. I'm answerable only to Jesus. Jesus is the only one that has never let me down. Give yourself a short while. You, by your definition of letting down, Jesus is about to let you down. By your, I repeat, by your definition of letting down because you have clearly begun to define letting down as not, not disappointing you, answering you every time you call, you know, being at your whim and caprice and doing whatever you expect. Jesus is about to break your heart, honey. If that is your definition of letting down. Because you see, this definition is as faulty as you're defining the goodness of God as a function of what he has done for you. Do you understand what I just said? This, this definition is, is as faulty as defining the goodness of God as a function of what he has done for you. And God is not good because he did you good. God is not good because he did you good. And, and, and just before you begin to think, oh, oh yeah, but what is the good that God has done for me? Uh, the car that you got is not the goodness of God. The husband you got is not the goodness of God. The job you have is not the goodness of God. The goodness of God is the salvation of your soul yes, such that you're able to stand and say, I am the redeemed of the Lord. I'm able to stand and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm able to stand and say, I'm redeemed, I'm sanctified, I am delivered, I'm set free, I'm restored into the commonwealth of Israel, I'm adopted, I'm accepted into the beloved, I'm qualified to partake of the inheritance of the saints. That is God being good. Yes, Everything else is a fringe benefit. Everything else is a fringe benefit. That is God being good. So let's fix that. So that you don't go ahead with a preconceived notion that no part of the world can penetrate. Oh, I, I, was, I, I, was, I was dealt badly in my relationship. I'm not going to trust any man again. Then don't even bother being in relationship. Because you have already caused it to go wrong. Ah, I can't give my heart to a lady again. I can't do all my, my days. I told you people that I've known me from before are watching. Do you know what we have done in the name of love? Oh, do you know what we have bought in the name of love? Do you know the things we have pulled when we say, I will, I will, I will cross the ocean for you. I will go and bring you the moon. Some parts of the moon that are missing. <laughs> Because there's some shuttles that when they land, when they go to the moon, and they have to watch where they land. There's portals in the moon. Some of those elements of the moon that are missing. It was us that plucked it and took to people that we love. And they still broke our heart and our chest and our mind and our brain. All. And we are still here and still loving by the grace of God. You think some of you are easy to love? After everything that is done, for you. You're just very, it's not because you're expensive. You're just difficult. You know, there's a difference between being expensive and being difficult. Some people are just difficult. You cannot just successfully love them. But most times you find that a lot of people are just stuck in, in being difficult. And, and that, that difficulty, again, like I said, is a function of where you have been what has happened to you. And that's where we must understand again our Christ consciousness because people, I mean, what do you think scripture means? What do you think is the scope of that statement when Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if any man beware in Christ, he's a new creation. So Christ did not come to improve your messed up 
stupid life. It was not life in the first place, even if you were alive. It was not life. You were dead in your trespasses. He quickened you. He gave you a brand new life. But the, sometimes again, believers who are not Christ conscious are trapped in their own life, trapped in their understanding because you see, nobody knows your life as well as you do it. That's why it's difficult for you to accept that you have been given another life because you're looking at your other life in the light of the life that you have always lived, that you've always known. Something has been scratching you, continues to scratch you after you got born again. So you, are diff you find it difficult to understand how you are a new creation. And that's why to understand that you are a new creation, to understand that the life you lived, you no longer have. You, are you were crucified with Christ. To appreciate that, you need to have your mind renewed because you are what you see. You need to take away your processing unit and plug it back to your original processing unit because only by a transformed mind are you able to grasp or prove that which is his good, perfect, and acceptable will. So an unregenerate mind cannot grasp the will of God and therefore cannot comprehend the realities of your new creation. Holy Spirit, help me. I'm trying to teach this thing. I've not started. I've not started. So all the stuff that we're struggling with is stuff that we don't understand come under the remit of the fact that in Christ, I became a new creation. In Christ, I became a new creation. In Christ, temperaments passed away. In Christ, preferences passed away. Proclivities passed away. And the problem why we, the church of God is so messed up, I'm speaking publicly. And these are things I've said privately to individuals that I'm responsible for spiritually, as well as privately in our local church. I, I said again publicly so that because the truth doesn't have, doesn't need to hide. The church of God is so messed up, is so divided along sectarian lines, so divided against denominational lines, divided against doctrinal lines, because we do not understand that coming into Christ makes one new people out of diverse peoples. And that's why there are a lot of things that I don't get myself involved in, because the church itself, the church herself, has lost sense of the fact, if they ever had, if the modern day church ever had grasp of it in the first place, that we are a melting pot in Christ, in the blood of Christ. We are all a melting pot of diverse conflicting cultures to become the culture of the kingdom. It's no longer the culture of Christ and the culture of your family. This is your citizenship. This is your citizenship. This becomes your reality. This becomes your mindset. This becomes your paradigm. This becomes your proclivity. This becomes your inclination and it takes precedence over everything and everyone. Our people say, dies the moment you become born again. Yes, sir. Now, of course, cultural people called pro-culture people and pro-tradition people will not like this. But Paul deals with traditions in Colossians chapter 2 as part of the things that we should not be trapped under because we have come into Christ. The problem is where we are in Christ and I'm in Christ and keeping my own. And you are in Christ and keeping your own. That person is in Christ and keeping their own. This person is in Christ and keeping their own. And everybody has convictions. We don't want to be uniformed because we don't want to look the same. But if there's anything that the cross of Christ did 
was to bring one people out of the nonsense and make all of them the same. And until we deal with this reality, we're not going to get anywhere as a church. Why would Paul, it's on that basis that Paul will say, all of you be of one mind. It's on that basis that Paul will say, let the mind which was in Christ Jesus be in you. It's on that basis that he will say, be transformed. Do not be conformed to this world, cosmos, system of this world, but be transformed, metamorphomai. Go from this into that by the renewing of your mind, by taking on a brand new mind. In Ephesians 4, it echoes that and says, be, be transformed in the spirit of your mind. Until we get to that understanding, we will struggle. We'll struggle. So everybody wants, and so we're teaching believers how to manage their differences rather than teaching them that in Christ there are no differences. We're teaching believers how to, man, how to master their temperaments and, and how to master their proclivities and how to master stuff that should have melted in at the cross such that all that we're taking is let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Remember when we said in 1 Corinthians 2 at the beginning of this series that to, 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 we, 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 I has not seen, it has not heard, neither has it entered the mind of man what God has in store for them that love him, what God has revealed them to us by his spirit, right? Because no one knows the mind of a man except the spirit of that man which is in him and just as no one knows the mind of God except the spirit of God which is in him but we, the spirit of God has been given to us so that we can know the things that are of the of God. And, and so now we know the preferences of God. We know the mind of God is the preferences of God. So if all of us have the mind of Christ, how come we are thinking differently? Has anybody bothered to ask? If everybody has the mind of Christ, how come we are giving differently? If everybody has the mind of Christ, how come we are acting differently? If everyone has the mind of Christ, how come we are walking differently? So there is a deficiency of the church's submission to the mind of Christ. Can you see that? There's a deficiency to the church's consciousness of Christ. And that is the problem until we get to the root of it in our teaching. Nothing is going to shift. Nothing. Until we get to the root of it where we understand that fundamentally the mindset of the church is warped. Because we are trying to juxtapose between the mind of Christ and your ego. The mind of Christ and your preference. The mind of Christ and how you as a person wants things. You as a person, whatever it is you need, want or desire should defer to the mind of Christ. To the leading of the spirit. That's when you're a Christ conscious believer. That's when you're a believer in the first place. That's when you're a believer. Not when you dress up like I'm dressed up now and show up in a place on a Sunday. Not when you quote a scripture or two or give an offering or tithe or seed or call somebody papa or mama or lift up hands and feel goosebumps in worship. That's not what it is. But until we understand this, Holy Spirit help me. I repeat what I said earlier. Do not punish where you are because of what where you were did to you. In the course of the teaching, you'll understand this statement, it will be made clear. On that basis, let me put this out there. The New Testament church places huge emphasis on discipleship. The New Testament church places huge emphasis on discipleship. The New Testament church places huge emphasis 
on discipleship such that there is there cannot be said to be a New Testament church in the absence of discipleship. There cannot be said to be a New Testament church in the absence of discipleship. The Great Commission, I said this last week, you know, as, as, as my trailer, I said the Great Commission is not a mandate. Let's go there, Matthew 28. The Great Con- uh, Commission is not a mandate to win souls. <laughs> and that's a very controversial statement. Very, very provocative statement, actually. Let's begin to look at it. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. That's, that's what Jesus tells them. See, he doesn't tell them, go and, go and save the unsaved. Do you see that? Back up to verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him. When, when he knew King James, they worshipped him. But some doubted, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to who? Oh man, I can't wait to do a, 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 a full exegesis of this text. And you know how you're teaching something and there's so many other things in the text. So, so, so you feel like, ah, let me go there. But ah, if I go there, I'll not stay here. Um, so, so it's hard to just, you know, it's hard to, I'm not saying pretend, but it's hard to just pretend that you didn't see something just so that you can focus on what you need to bring out. And that's what this text does to me because it's a very, very controversial text in scripture. First of all, there are many manuscripts. In fact, the healthiest manuscripts of, of, from, from which the Bible was translated to English do not have verse 19 and 20, but we'll come to that in a bit. <laughs> All authority has been given to me. Mark Jesus saying, given to me. All authority has been given to who? Jesus. Yes. In heaven and on earth. 19. Go therefore. What does therefore mean? I've told you whenever you see therefore, pause and establish what the word therefore is. Therefore. Uh, so on account of the fact that on authority has been given to me, Jesus, right? In heaven and on earth. On account of that, go and make disciples. For the sake of this conversation we're having, we're focusing on go and make disciples of all the nations. It doesn't say go and save the lost. It doesn't say go and win souls. This is Jesus speaking. This is what our popular great commission. He says, go and make disciples. So what is the great commission from the mouth of Jesus? Discipleship. And of course, for somebody to be made into a disciple, they have to hear the gospel. The gospel has to be preached to them and they have to believe it. That's an entry point. But what is on the heart of God is not a population of zombified Christians who have believed something they don't understand. And therefore are now believing God for their daily bread every day. That's an IDP camp. You heard me. That's an IDP camp. That's an internally displaced person's camp where you have been delivered from the people that are trying to kill you. Are you following me? A superior force has delivered you from people that are trying to kill you. A superior force has used bombs and airplanes to, and superior firepower to deliver you from someone that's trying to keep you, but they can't push you any further. So they just gather you in a place where hopefully the persons they delivered you from cannot attack you, but they can't move you further either. So every day you queue up and you're waiting for rations. Give us, give me, give me a husband, give me a wife, give me a child. And then out of a thousand of you, 10 people will get a car. Out of a thousand of you, five people will get a job. Out of a thousand of you, you know, two people will get a house. And they would, those people will now become, those people will now become the stars of the show. So every service, those are the ones that come to testify. That's an IDP camp. That's not what Jesus died for. 
That's not what Jesus died for. He didn't die for a bunch of people that are just there and just begging and every day they come and then they have to look at him through a man who has all the answer to their problems to the measure that they make the man feel good. That's a worse religion than every other one. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Malakusaba. The great commission is the discipling of the nations. I repeat, the great commission is the discipling of the nations. Discipleship. We'll come to that in a bit. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. This one I'll deal with another day. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 20. We'll come back to 19 a bit. Teaching them. Can you see that? What's the Great Commission? Make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now go back to verse 18. All authority, all authority has been given to me, Jesus, in heaven and on earth, right? 19. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. First of all, there's no other place in the entire scripture that this line appears. No other place where you have the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. So again, we have made doctrine wrongly out of something that cannot be corroborated by anywhere else in scripture. That's just food for thought. Second food for thought I'd like to leave with you is this. If he said all authority has been given to me, he, Jesus, all authority has been, he just said it. A verse later, he says, go and baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that sound confusing? If those are the words of Jesus. And every other time that he speaks of authority in the kingdom, every other time he speaks of the authority the believer has, every other time that he speaks of the access that we have to God, he speaks of it as happening in his name. He never says in my name plus the Father plus the Holy Spirit. But you know, we have made that into doctrine in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's no other name given among men wherein we might be saved, but that at the name of Jesus. He said it himself. So there's a problem with verse 19. There's a problem with verse 19, which you need to establish. You see why the word of God must be rightly divided? So you don't run around quoting stuff that cannot be corroborated anywhere else in scripture. What was being said, what originally was said, what was intended, is it consistent with the rest of scripture? But let's stay in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples. I'm sure I've left a huge question already for believers to start thinking, what, is, what does that mean for God's sake? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Why, why is there no other corroboration for it in scripture? Who inserted it there? What did they mean? What purpose does it serve? When was it included into scripture? It's things like this that make people feel like the scripture has errors. It's infallible. We must understand it correctly. What is scripture? Not what men said is scripture. So go out therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Matthew 28, 19. Right? But it doesn't say how you should do it. Of course it says teaching them in 20 to observe. But how do you make disciples? How do you make them into disciples? In the first place. You notice it doesn't say anything about that. Yeah? yeah? Okay, it doesn't. Mark is that what explains to us 
how we make disciples. Mark 16 and 15. Mark 16, 15. And Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So how do you make disciples? By preaching the gospel. What is the end of the preaching of the gospel? Making disciples. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all. Jesus did not mention in Matthew, go and preach the gospel. He didn't mention, go and save the lost. He says, go and make disciples. In Mark, Jesus says to them by Mark's account, go out there and preach the gospel to every creature. Make sense? So the preaching of the gospel is the beginning of the making of disciples. Do you understand that? Preach, the word here for preach, is the Greek word keruzo. It's actually the, the, the actual word for preach is the word keruxete. K-E-R-U-X-A-T-E. Or keru, if you're going to pronounce it English, you pronounce it keruxate. Keruxate, you know, keruxate. But the phonetic pronunciation in the Greek is keruxete. And that comes from the Greek word keruzo. K-E-R-U-S-S-O, keruzo. But the word for preach is the word keruxete. It comes from the, from the root word keruzo, which means to proclaim. To proclaim. That's the word to preach. To proclaim or to announce publicly. And that's why I wrote here, that's why there is no spiritual gift called preaching. Preaching is not a ministry. It's just public proclamation. Public announcement. Anybody can do it. Everybody should do it. It's just proclamation. Public proclamation. And then in the Caruso itself, the original root word, talks about public proclamation as pertaining the gospel and matters concerning it. Right? So when you're pro- publicly proclaiming the gospel and matters concerning or pertaining to the gospel, that's the preaching of the gospel. You, in a short while, see the difference between preaching as a generic term and teaching as a specific term. The Great Commission is to make disciples. It gets worse and it gets more provocative. You will also find out that in your studying of the New Testament, that the gospel, the gospel was primarily preached to unbelievers. The gospel was never preached to believers. Why? Because preaching Keruso Keruzete, it's a public proclamation or an announcement of a message. So who needed that proclamation? Unbelievers. So you will not find, you'll be hard-pressed to find a, an account in the New Testament where believers were being preached to. Who was being preached to? Unbelievers. What was happening with believers? You'll find that the New Testament pattern, New Testament believers were being taught. Believers were being taught the gospel. Same message. Same message. Believers were taught it. Unbelievers were preached it. There's a difference. There's a difference. Same message, different approach, different result. The message, the gospel, was preached to unbelievers. It's preached. When Jesus went about, what did he go about doing? Preaching the gospel. 
When the apostles arrived on chartered territories, what did they arrive doing? They arrived preaching the gospel, proclaiming the good news and its attendant matters. When people believed, what began to happen? They sat them down and began to teach them what they had believed by the preaching. Mark 16, 20. We just saw Mark 16, 15, right? Just a few verses down to Mark 16, 20. Mark 16, 20, and they, and they went out, the disciples, went out and preached everywhere. The Lord walking with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. They went everywhere when they were dispatched. And what did, what did they do? Preaching. Acts 8 and 4. Acts 8, 4. Therefore, those who were scattered, and who was responsible for this scattering? Uncle Saul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Persecuting the churches. Because what was the great commission? Go into the nations yeah. and preach, right? Yeah. He only told them one thing. He said, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high, right? And it's, he promised them that you, sh you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses, heralds. It's the same word, Caruso, the same word for preaching, herald, witnessing. You shall be my witnesses where? In all nations, because who's supposed to be discipled? All nations, Holy Spirit came and they stayed in Jerusalem. Was that the mandate? Who, what was the mandate? Nations. They stayed in Jerusalem. That's so all God said. It's okay. It's all right. Stay. Saul, scatter them. So who was behind, as it were, the persecution of the church in Jerusalem? God. Because he spread them straight into the mandate to the nations. And they scattered. Therefore, those who were scattered, Acts chapter 8 and 4, went everywhere preaching the word. <laughs> Go back a bit. <laughs> Just back up to verse 1 of chapter 8. <laughs> verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death, referring to the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, who was stoned, right? Remember Stephen, one of the deacons? Who also said, like Jesus said, that do not... Um, uh, forgive them for they, know, they do not know what they do. Yeah, remember Saul had their clothes when they were stoning him in chapter 7. So in 8 and verse 1, you know, the scripture is not written with chapters and verses. It's a narrative. So not, Saul was consenting to his death, the death of Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Because, you know, they received the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, yeah. where he told them to wait, and from where he was taken up from them. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Apostles stayed put. Apostles. Amen. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging up men and women committing them to prison. Verse 4. Therefore, therefore, on account of Saul's havoc of the church, and there was only one local church then. Where was it? Jerusalem. Because this was, this was the post-Pentecost church. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, keruzexating the word, preaching the word. Acts 8, 25. Acts 8.25. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. 
So, so far, who is, who is being preached the gospel? Unbelievers. Yeah. All across, the gospel is being preached to unbelievers. You don't see teaching the gospel to unbelievers. Let's, let's, let's take a couple more. Acts 13, just a cursory look right through the, 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 the book of Acts. Acts 13, 5. Acts 13, 5. Acts 13, 5. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. Unbelievers. They preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. Acts 14. Acts 14, 21 to 23. And when they had preached the gospel, again, the word, there's the word keruzete, the word keruzo, which means public proclamation or announcement or heralding as a town crier, yeah. right, of the gospel and its attendant uh, or, or matters con- pertaining to it or concerning it. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Mark 16, 15, go and preach the gospel to every creature. And I said to you that the making of disciples starts with the preaching of the gospel. Can you see that? So now you see that they went into a place, they preached the gospel, and on account of that, they made disciples. Please mark this text, or we'll come back to another text shortly that explains this. I made, or that takes this forward rather, and made many disciples. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Keep going, we're going to verse 23. Strengthening the souls of disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. They didn't tell unbelievers this. 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church that they had previously preached the gospel to and from whom they had now made disciples and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had Believed. Go back to 19. I'll take it again from 20. 21. 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city where they were, and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. Now, you know, earlier on in the book of Acts, we said they went everywhere preaching the gospel. So now they are returning to Lystra where they had preached the gospel and where the fruit of the gospel was the beginning of the birthing of disciples. Iconium and Antioch. And when they go back now, they start to teach them. They're strengthening the souls of the disciples. They're exhorting them to continue the faith and now saying, you know what? We must, through many tribulations, enter or apprehend, as it were. Not, not in the sense of works, but that story for another day. The kingdom of God. So, the preaching of the gospel is what introduces, <laughs> what introduces discipleship, right? And then people believe the preaching and the preaching of the gospel is immediately followed with the teaching of the gospel. Does that make sense? The preaching of the gospel is immediately followed by the teaching of the gospel to those who have believed. Because it's not everything you will hear at the first instance. It's not everything you should hear at the first instance. And let me put it this way. Holy Spirit, help me. I'm about to say something that's controversial. If you became born again because you thought you have received at the point, or let me put it this way. If you waited until you received everything or everything you thought there was to receive about the faith of Christ before you became born again, you are not born again. You just had an intellectual change of mind. Why are you born again? I've heard everything about the gospel. I've researched everything about the gospel. I've, I've, I've heard all the arguments for incarnation, all the arguments for resurrection, all the arguments. And, and now I can confidently say on the strength of all I have researched that the gospel is true. You're not, you're not a believer. 
You are just an intellectual convert. You know why? Because you have precluded the key element of salvation, which is faith. By grace are you saved through, how is it appropriated? Through faith. How is it laid hold of? Faith. And faith requires that you must believe something bigger than yourself. Faith requires of a necessity that you must get to the point where you believe something bigger than yourself. And then believing, that's where the exercising of faith, which is a gift of God, right? Ephesians 2, 9. That quickens you into coming to know what you have now believed. Before you think it's part of saying, 1 Timothy 2, 1. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, Paul says to Timothy, that all supplications, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Supplications, prayers, giving of thanks, intercessions be made for all men. Two, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Verse three, for this is good. It's good to live a godly life, a peaceful life, right? In all godly reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Verse four, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth not desires to come to all the knowledge of the truth in order to be saved, but desires that all men be saved and then come to the knowledge of the truth. So it doesn't end at being saved. It starts with being saved. And once you're saved, you are saved into the journey of coming into the knowledge of the truth. Oh, Lord Jesus. The word therefore come. Stay in Second First Timothy 2.4. You have all men be saved, right? You know that word, saved. We all know it very well. And come to the knowledge of the truth. The word saved is the word, the word come rather is the word echomai. Have all men come to the knowledge of the truth. First Timothy 2.4. Echomai, E-R-C-H-O-M-A-I. E-R-C-H-O-M-A-I, air coma. And it means to come from one place to another. And that might sound very obvious until you hear that the word come, air coma in the Greek, means to come into being, to arise, to come forth, to show yourself, to find your place of influence and to be established. That's the word come. From one place to another, to come into being, to arise, to come forth, to show yourself, to come to find your place or influence and to be established. Who will have, who desires all men to be saved and to be established? Have all men find their place of influence. Have all men come forth. Have all men show themselves. Have all men come into being. Have all men find their place. That's the word komo. Ekoma in the Greek. Come into what? Being established in what? Find your influence in what? Knowledge. And the word knowledge is the word we all know very well in this house is the word epignosis. And epignosis means contact knowledge, contact revelation. Contact knowledge as comes only by revelation. That's the word epignosis. Recognition, remember we talked about that? To recognize something. Precise and correct knowledge of a thing. 
is the word epignosis. So you're being established in the experiential revelatory knowledge. You're finding your place of influence in the precise and correct knowledge of. You are showing forth in the contact knowledge of, in the recognition of the truth. And the, of course, truth is the word aletheia. I love it. Aletheia in Greek. Aletheia, A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A. It means undeniable reality when something is fully tested and something that is unraveled, truth that is tangible. So who will have all men be saved, so zo, and come, be established, come into, yes, find yourself, find your place of influence and your authority, your position, right? To come into being of your revelation knowledge of God in Christ, who is the truth. Alethia, something that is unraveled because, you know, he says the hidden things have been now revealed. Christ is no longer a mystery, right? He has revealed them to us by his spirit. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, right? As well as the life. So he will have all men be saved and then grow and be established in the revelation of Christ. That's First Corinthians, that's First Timothy 2, 4. Who desires all men be saved, and come to the knowledge of the truth. Are you following me? Yes, sir. And this coming to the knowledge of the truth doesn't come by the preaching of the gospel. It comes by the teaching of the gospel. It comes by the teaching of the gospel. It takes, I wrote here, it takes hearing and responding to the preaching of the gospel to begin to come into the knowledge of what has been believed. Does that make sense? It takes hearing the gospel. It takes responding to the gospel to start your journey of coming into the knowledge of the gospel in whom you have believed. Does that make sense? It's, so it doesn't end with, I am born again. Now bring the cars, the houses, bring the, you know. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's what Christianity has gotten stuck in. No, that's where it begins. Why should, should I read my Bible? Why should I pray? Why should I study? Why all this plenty, plenty talking? The, the kingdom of God is power. The kingdom of God is power. What is the power of the kingdom of God? The gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, and verse 16, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Do not mean to the Jew and Gentile and everyone who believes. So the power of God is the gospel. To despise the gospel is to despise the power. Therefore, any so-called Christian power that exists outside the preaching and teaching of the gospel is of a familiar spirit. It cannot be of God if God's power is the gospel. And you're displaying power in the absence of the gospel. The power is shady. You may call the name of Jesus, but that power is not of him. Because if it's of him, it's as fed, as supplied by the preaching and teaching of the gospel. The gospel is the power. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. The gospel is the power. Outside of that, it cannot be said to be power. So it takes hearing and responding to the preaching of the gospel to begin to come into the knowledge of what has been believed. Preaching enables the hearer to be introduced into what will be taught to him or her. 
Do you understand? So think of it this way. I'll come to the word disciple in a bit. You see how discipleship wraps up with all of this. But if you're going to start a course, if you, if you, <laughs> if you went to any serious school <laughs> at all, you are introduced to the course by, first of all, the course outline. Right? The course outline introduces to you the curriculum of study, the scope of study. And goes as far as even establishing, in some cases, the aims and objectives of that course of study. So that at the end of that pursuit of that course of study, A, B, and C should have been attained in your study. Does that make sense? Think of preaching as the introduction to your course. Because you know, you get an overview of what this course, you're going to spend the next three years, four years, five years studying something, but you get a, a decent overview in your orientation of that course. Now, can you, do you think it's wise to walk away and conclude that you have known all there is to know about that course because you had the overview? Because you were there for induction or you were there for orientation? What, that's what preaching does. Preaching just establishes for you or introduces to you the curriculum of what you're going to spend the rest of your life studying. It lays the curriculum, it lays the scope, it lays the preparation for the course of study. But the knowledge that you need to come into, who will have all men be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, that knowledge will only come by the teaching of the gospel. Don't forget what we're dealing with. The Christ conscious believer values and submits to discipleship. It will come together. So it takes the teaching of the gospel to bring about the knowledge of the truth. Now you understand why so many Christians are stunted in their growth, right? Because they've remained at the diet of babies. The diet of unbelievers. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3. From verse 1 to 3. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3. And I, brethren, see Paul telling off the Corinthian church here. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1. And I, brethren, could not... I've actually switched to the TPT. Let's see how TPT puts this text. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3. Brothers and sisters... When I was with you, I found it impossible to speak to you as those who are spiritually mature people. For you are still dominated by the mindset of the flesh. Paul is telling the Corinthian church. And because you are immature infants in Christ, I had to nurse you and feed you with milk. Not with the solid food of more advanced teachings. Because you weren't ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready to be fed solid food. Corinthian church. For you are living your lives dominated by the mindset of the flesh. Then he starts to ask them, ask yourselves, is there jealousy among you? Do you compare yourselves with others? Do you quarrel like children and end up taking sides? If so, this proves that you're living your lives centered on yourselves, dominated by the mindset of the flesh and behaving like unbelievers. 
Let's read it again. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3. Switch to the message. Switch to the message. But for right now, friends, excuse me, I'm completely frustrated by your unspiritual dealings with each other and with, your, and with God. You're acting like infants in relation to Christ. Capable of nothing more than nursing at the breast. Well then, I'll nurse you since you don't seem capable of anything more. As long as you grab for what makes you feel good or makes you look important. Are you really much different than a babe at the breast, content only when everything is going your way? Go back to TPT. Read it again. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3. I'm taking my time. Brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I found it impossible to speak to you as those who are spiritually mature people, for you are still dominated by the mindset of the flesh. And because you are immature infants in Christ, I had to nurse, nurse you and feed you with milk, not with the solid food of more advanced teachings, because you weren't ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready to be fed solid food, for you are living your lives dominated by the mindset of the flesh. So a lot of Christians are stuck here. This is Paul to the Corinthian church. Now ask yourself honestly, am I here or am I past here? In my walk with God as a disciple, as a son of God, in my evolution of responsibility, can I say I'm at the point where I'm craving more than milk, more than excitement, more than hugs, more than kisses and hangouts, more than family and friends and social gatherings, more than just a nice conversation when it gets too deep. Ah, no, I'm not interested in deep stuff. Please, now, is it every time we'll be deep? Is it every time we'll talk Christ? Is it every time we'll talk spiritual things? I've taught you in this house, scripture tells you to flee from that person. Even that person is right here, next to you right now. Because you cannot be inside the church. That's a little, little leaven that leavens the lump. That's a little, little foxes that spoil the vine. I don't keep my mouth shut when it comes to that. I'm a teacher. I'm called to raise disciples. That's the mandate. Not save souls and get them in church. Get them busy, dancing, jumping, singing, ushering, giving gifts, doing this, love feast, running around and not growing in maturity. That's not what Jesus sent us to do. That's not what Jesus sent us to do. If you're not in, willing to grow in a place and grow in maturity and grow in spiritual stature, change church. Look for a place where they're giving you milk. Because you can't be in a place where you're being fed solid food and be acting as though it's milk you're drinking. Does that make sense? Yes, you can't be in a place where we are feeding you solid food. And you cannot also be in a place and tell us the kind of food you want us to feed you. You can't. So this is rain check. This is serious rain check, these teachings. Especially for those of you who are part of this local assembly. You pay attention. Hear what Paul is telling the Corinthian church. How does it get deep? You're not interested. It's too tough. It's too difficult. That's why you sit with it. Did you drop out of school because it was too hard? You got up and your lecturer is teaching. You just walked out of the lecture hall. I'm not interested. It's too tough. It's too hard. So it's time for exam. I won't write his exam. I won't buy his handout. I won't write, I won't write his test. Why? He's stressing my life. So Christians are not growing because we don't, want to be, we don't want to engage with teaching. 
They don't want to engage with maturity. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews 5 verse 12 to 14. Here TPT, the Passion Translation, Hebrews 5, 12. For you should already be professors instructing others by now. But instead, you need to be taught from the beginning the basics of God's prophetic oracles. You are like children still needing milk and not ready to digest solid food. For every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not yet pierced by the revelation of righteousness. Repeat it again. 13. For every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not yet pierced by the revelation of righteousness. 14. But solid food is for the mature. Somebody say the mature. Whose spiritual senses perceive heavenly matters. Solid food is for the mature whose spiritual senses perceive heavenly matters and they have been adequately trained. 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 They have been adequately trained by what they've experienced to emerge with understanding. Remember when he says, come to the knowledge of? To show off, to show forth, to manifest. They emerge with understanding of the difference between what is truly excellent and what is evil and harmful. It comes by the teaching of the word. So newsflash, if you're not sat under the teaching of God's word, you are spiritually deficient in your growth. Jesus did not go around just preaching the gospel and doing good. He taught to whom he preached, those who received what he preached, he taught them. Acts chapter 1 verse 1. Acts chapter 1 verse 1. This is what determines the difference between servants and sons. This, this is the Christ consciousness that determines who is mature in the faith and who is running around and making noise and forming sonship because, oh, it looks good. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm sanctified. I am holified. I am dopified. And you are stupefied. Because there's no substance to your claim. And that substance cannot come by milk. There are deeper things in God. There are deeper heights to navigate. There are deeper depths to navigate. We haven't started. We're still trying to lay foundation. And if you can't grasp this, there's no hope. There's no hope for you. If you can't grasp, you can't grasp the teaching of God's word. No gift, singing, teaching, praying, instruments, and, and all the creatives. We have all of that, but the, none of that grows a believer. None of that, take it from a creative, none of it grows a believer. None of it grows a believer. What grows a believer is time spent in adequate training from the teaching of God's word. That's the emphasis in this house. We're a word house. If you get here, you come around and you get caught up in the ambience and get caught up in, in the family, get caught up in the fellowship. First of all, you are not following me because I'm not distracted by what you're distracted by. And if you're following me, you cannot afford to be distracted by what I'm not distracted by. It has to be what has distracted me that will distract you. Yes, sir. If you're, does that make sense what I've just said? Yes, if you're really following me, 
it has to be that if you're going to miss it, you're only going to miss it at the junction that I missed it. So if you missed it at a different junction, you're not following me. If you came in and got trapped in stuff and you're today, you are here, today you're everywhere and you're not, you're not looking at me at all. You don't, you're not looking at what my preferences are. You're not looking at what I invest my time the most in and I invest my time the most in what God has called me to do. In teaching, in preaching, in studying. I don't visit randomly. There's always a purpose when I show up somewhere. There's always a deposit left when I show up somewhere. Always, there's no single random time, even when we think it's random. You deliberate lives, and then you come in and you look around and you, ah, you're just running all over the place. You're milk, dude. And you have refused it. Paul says, you're, you were not ready then. You're not ready now. You're not ready now. This, this changes everything. This is the difference. You hang around the place six months, you hang around the place one year, one and a half years, 24 months, three years. You're not growing. Thank God in this place, you can't blame your teacher. You can't blame your teacher. I say it with all sense of authority. I say it with all sense of authority. I say it with all sense of authority. You cannot blame your teacher. Even if people who are watching you are transferring the blame to your teacher, you cannot blame your teacher. Because we put premium on teaching you the word of God, rightly divided in a season of confusion all over the place. Paul says, though you have many instructors, you don't have many fathers. In Christ Jesus, have I labored over you? I, I repeat what I started with earlier on. Don't let where you've been punish where you are now. Don't punish where you are now because of what where you were did to you. Don't be a sloppy disciple because you had a crazy pastor. It's as good as saying you will not eat again because one time you ate your tummy ran. Can we think about it for a minute? One time you bought pure water, it didn't taste funny. Have you stopped drinking pure water? You slept in your house, there was mosquitoes in the house. You moved out of your house and left your house for the mosquitoes. You saw a cockroach or a gecko and you moved out of your house. You live in a house like... Three-bedroom house or four-bedroom house. You saw a rat or a, or, a, or a cockroach or a lizard and you moved, left your house for the lizard because you, have, you are convinced there's no way you and lizard will live together ever in this life. So you're never going to live in a house again. Now you live under a tree. Right? Because under a tree, there's no cockroaches. Now you live in your car because in your car, there's no mosquitoes. You are never going to live in a house again. God forbid. You don't do that. When it comes to spiritual matters, ah, no, that church, they offended me because the church is a political party that's meant to pay you dividends. I told you, you're in an IDP camp. Grow up. Grow up. This seeker-based Christianity must stop. Needs-based Christianity must stop where you feel like, well, if they don't preach what I want to hear, I will take my offering. Your offering perish with you. There's a bunch of people that are going to declare the gospel of God without compromise, whether you give or not, and watch how God will sustain the work and keep it going on account of our faithfulness in spite of your stubbornness. And the church say, Amen. Amen. Watch God prosper his work. Watch us continue to declare, hold us accountable. I'm saying this publicly. Hold us accountable. The day our gospel changes, 
call us publicly, challenge us, is your right in God through Christ. I say, hold up, sir, your message has changed. He's the message we preach. It's not a seasonal message. I'm not preaching it to make money. No, we are trusting God to make money so we can preach it. Do you understand? That's our drive. We're not preaching this to make money. We know what to do to make money, sir. We are trusting God to make money so we can teach this thing without looking at anybody's face. To get the gospel out by all means necessary. Not preaching it to make money. This kind of gospel doesn't bring money. So if you think that you're one of the one of them places where you can sit down and if you stay long enough, you can influence what's going on. <laughs> Open your eyes, shine your eyes. It's not going to happen. If you stay long enough, you will change what's going on. If you, if you stay long enough, you, they will not understand that you're not growing. You see right now, the season that we're in, globally and in our local church, if you're not growing now, it stinks. Right now, if you're not growing, it stinks. It's smelling to the highest heavens. Everybody can see it. Because we're at an age where the truth is unhinged. Truth is unhinged. If you came to Christ because you're looking for healing, you came to Christ because you will not fall sick. Just as you leave that junction of believing that you will not fall sick, the next junction you are approaching at, the sickness that will hammer you like this. Oh, you come to Christ, hey, 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 hey. I will not fail exam. The, 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 the nice F you will see. Why? Just to get you to straighten your twisted mentality that that is what Jesus does for you. Just to straighten you up and get you to quickly resolve. Quickly resolve. Oh, that, hey, I'm not in Jesus for this thing. I'm not in Jesus for this thing. This is not why I came. And you straighten it up and start to grow. Put back Hebrews 5.12. See what the TPT says. For you should already be professors instructing others by now. But instead, you need to be taught from the beginning the basics of God's prophetic oracles. You are like children still needing milk and not ready to digest solid food. Jesus did not just preach the gospel. Jesus taught the gospel. Acts chapter 1 verse 1. Acts 1 1. The former account I made of Theophilus, this is Luke speaking, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Of all things that Jesus began both to do and to teach. All that Jesus began both to do and to teach. The word teach is the Greek word didaskein. D-I-D-A-S-K-E-I-N. From the Greek word didasko. D-I-D-A-S-K-E-I-N. Didasken or didasken. From which you get the English word didactic. So didactic knowledge or didactic conversations. Didasken. From the original root word didasko. Things that he began both to do and teach. And that word teach, the word translated teach, is the word that translates in English to impart knowledge, to cause somebody to learn. To cause, to make somebody learn. Jonathan, not just to teach, but to, to teach in a manner that causes the person to learn. To instruct 
to prescribe a thing. That's teaching. If you think about it. To prescribe a thing. That's what did, did I scan. To prescribe a thing. To explain. To expound. To teach someone something. That's the word did I scan or did I scan. D-A-D-A-S-K-E-I-N. In this house, you know, we take time to go into the original language because it establishes for us beyond the scope of English what the original writer was trying to communicate to his audience. Did I scan from the word didasco, which means to impart knowledge, to cause to learn, to instruct, to prescribe a thing, to explain, to expound, and to teach someone something. Hallelujah. That's the word teach. All through the New Testament, emphasis was placed on teaching the gospel in order to grow believers. All through the New Testament, emphasis was placed on teaching the gospel, teaching the gospel in order to grow believers. Let's look at a few examples of teaching. Now, we looked at examples of preaching earlier, right? All over the nations, cities, unbelievers. Let's look at a few examples in the Acts of teaching. Acts 15.35. Acts 15.35. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch. So see, this, this is where they are. Teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. Did you see that? With many others also. Take it again. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch. What were they doing in Antioch? Teaching and preaching. Now we understand the difference, right? The word of the Lord with many others also. Acts 18.11. Do and teach. Preach, do and teach. Preach, do and teach. Preach, do and teach. That's how disciples are made. There, go back, go back to verse 10, I believe. Um, let me just find the context of that so that we understand. So let us go from verse 9. Acts 18, 9. So just so we know that it's, it's Paul being talked about. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but, but speak and do not keep silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you for I have many people in this city. Next verse. This is in, in, in Corinth. Acts 18, Paul is in Corinth, right? So if you go back to verse one, I'm trying to skip just for time, but I like to teach with context so that you know what we're talking about. You can follow the picture in your head. So Acts 18, verse one. Go back to verse one, Myron. Verse one. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, okay? He went to Corinth. And there he met Aquila and Priscilla, his wife, yeah? And, and stayed with them and reasoned with them, persuading Jews and Greeks. And then um, he waited until Silas and, and Timothy came to him. And then he began to preach to the Jews in the synagogue and all of that. And then, and then uh, the, the, the ruler of the synagogue heard and believed and all of that. And many Corinthians believed as verse 8. And then verse 9, God appeared to Paul and says, don't be afraid. Just keep speaking. I got you. Nobody's going to touch you. Okay? That's the, that's the pretext. Verse 11, then, you now see. And he continued there. Where is there? Corinth. Right? Just to give you the context. So he continued there a year and six months. 18 months. What was he doing? Teaching the word of God among them. Imagine you went to a place for a crusade. You preached. People responded. You met a couple of other believers. You shared the gospel with them. You entered the synagogue. You know, you preached. 
People made a bit of noise. But a particular guy who was an influential guy in society believed his, him and his household. Other Corinthians, they believed. Were baptized, were joined to the church. People were making noise and then God appeared to you and told you, don't worry, I got you. Just stay here and do this thing. And on account of that, imagine that I go now, right now, I'm in water abiding house and I'm invited to preach or teach in a bar or Lagos. And I go and I teach for three days. And the Lord says, stay. And then I tell you guys, what abiding house? God has told me to stay here. I don't know how long. But just to be there and teach this word among these people. And that teach this word became 18 months. Some of you have already changed church by the 18th hour into my absence. Because you're not yet grown at a point where you're following the meat you're hearing. You're still following the milk you're wanting to hear. That's why I say you can't blame your teacher. Ah, Pav, Pav has left us. 18 months stayed in the place teaching the word of God among them. Because it's not just to preach and connect, collect honorarium. It's to, do you know what it means to stay? Uh, now you understand, some of you understand in a local church why I value the gift of pastors. Because anybody can go to a place, be put in a hotel room, be given five-star treatment by protocol department and hospitality department, and you will hear God. That's how you sleep in some hotel room. You would hear God even when God is not speaking. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's some food you will eat that when you calculate how much it would have cost you to cook that food in your house, and you get there and they say, man of God, we have prepared this for you. The heavens will open. You will see Jacob's ladder. Straight up ladder. Follow the ladder. Follow the... You will see angels. Not just angels. Cherubim and seraphim. See Anes. You will see them. See Anes. Kerizim and seraphim. Going up and down inside your head. Go. You will just be seeing it very, very... You will see what Jacob did not see because of the venison. Venison that they give to you. You will bless the God of your ancestors. You will bless the God of the high priest in your village. You will bless the, oh my God. You will bless the God of the epic priest. The God that gives them the oracles to prosper. You, you man of God, not pastor, you, apostle. You will, you, will, you will bless the God of Shango. You will bless the God of Amadioha. You will bless the God. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. You will bless that, all the gods. You will gather and bless them. And say, God spoke to me. Tonight is going to be fire. Come and preach. Come in. Ah, you are charged. You are psyched up. Come on, man. The Lord gave me a word. I came with a word. Actually, what is happening is this. What you are saying is, I gave the Lord a word. I gave the Lord an oracle. Yes, sir. I prophesied to Jesus what I'm about to prophesy to you. You preach to give you offering, crepe, collect offering. Anywhere I go, I raise an offering. I see you. I see you, sir. Anytime you receive a word, you must tap into it. You must tap into the word. Have you put your Bible under the tap before? No, the tap doesn't act on the word like that. 
somehow the tap that operates with your Bible is money that comes out of that tap. Put your Bible on that water, let the tap run. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's the water, not the water of life. No, money. You tap into it with a seed. You collect a percentage of that offering. You are back. You have babies in your church that are not growing. But you see, pastors, pastor teachers, pastor teachers, Ephesians 4, because you cannot pastor without teaching. You cannot pastor without teaching, sir. Yes, sir. You cannot pastor without teaching. You cannot pastor without teaching. A pastor teacher who gets up. You see why Paul says that those of them that labor over you in the preaching and teaching of the word are worthy of what kind of honor? Double honor. Double honor. Somebody will come to your church and preach and you will carry honorarium that is one year budget of your church and give guest minister. Your pastor is suffering. Your pastor's rent is not paid. Your pastor is driving a rickety car or none at all. Going through stuff and busting his behind to teach the gospel to you. You despise him in favor of a man of God on TV. You send offering to somebody on TV. You're not a believer. You're not. You're a baby. So to have a pastor that labors over you, painstakingly labors over you, day in, day out, instant, in season, and out of, you better lift up your hands every day. You wake up and thank God for such a pastor in your life. Don't let anybody deceive you to make you feel like you are on your own. You can do it. You can do it. It's you and the Holy Spirit. I will kill that spirit very shortly. That makes you feel like you don't know. You don't need anybody in your life. It's you and the Holy Spirit. I told you last week, God is not teaching anybody. Yes, sir. God is not teaching anybody. It's men that are teaching men. The God in men that are teaching other men. Emphasis is placed on teaching. Where was I? Acts 18, 11. Acts 18:11. And he continued there a year and six months. Teaching the word of God among them. Switch to the TPT. TPT, Acts 18:11. For the next year and a half, Paul stayed in Corinth, faithfully teaching. The word of God. Can you see that? Stayed in Corinth, faithfully teaching. Somebody say faithfully teaching. That's the only way disciples are made. There is no disciples in truth and deed in the absence of painstaking teaching of God's word. Beyond the preaching thereof. Acts 28.30. Acts 28.30. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. This was in Rome. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus with all confidence. Paul, no one forbidding him while awaiting trial. Because you know, he appealed to Caesar. That's how he got to Rome. Put up 30 again in the TPT. Acts 28, 13. Paul lived two more years in Rome in his own rented quarters, welcoming all who came to visit. Keep going. He continued to proclaim. That's the word preach, right? Yes, sir. The word preach. 
Keruxete, Keruzo, he continued to proclaim to all the truth of God's kingdom realm, teaching them the Dasken, instructing them, prescribing to them about the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, speaking triumphantly and without any restriction. I said earlier that in the making of disciples is preach, do, teach. Preach, do, teach. So I wrote here, the threefold discipline, threefold discipline of one, thoroughly preaching, two, fervently teaching. You see how he says in TPT of Acts that he continued for a year and a half preaching, teaching faithfully God's word. Fervent teaching. The threefold discipline of the thorough preaching, the fervent teaching, and the deliberate practicing of the gospel. That is the making of disciples. Threefold what? Discipline. Please pay attention to how similar discipline and disciples sound. Yes, sir. It's not random. Yes, sir. It cannot be disciples not disciplined. You cannot be said to be disciplined without paying attention to and subscribing to discipleship. Yes, sir. The threefold discipline of thoroughly preaching fervently or faithfully teaching and deliberately practicing the gospel. In this threefold discipline is the making of disciples. So you see, doctrine has to do with teaching and not preaching. You can't preach doctrine. You can't just go out somewhere and start to just declare so you see what we have made? Oh, Holy Spirit, man, oh Lord Jesus, help this world to prosper in the, in the ears and hearts of the hearers. You can't go out and start to preach controversy and preach hair and preach. Have you seen the, the um, I can say it again publicly because it's public, um, it's public domain, Sister Margaret that gave a testimony about dying and going to hell and heaven. It was very popular a few couple of years ago. Anybody here, Sister Margaret? Have you seen that she came out to give a, a confession and testimony that she lied? She did not die and she did not go to hell and God did not send her? Wow. It's online. It's all over the internet. <laughs> and then the sad thing is people are coming out and arguing that you know, they know that they see that she's repenting and they see that she's lying. But yet, what they told them was what drew them to Christ. It's changed their lives. You see the problem? But we're shouting these things who look like we don't want, we, we, are, we are heretics. Yeah. A pastor put something on Facebook recently. I think he was on that same, that same video. He said, all these people that keep coming back from hell with a word from the Lord, does the Lord live there? Yes, sir. So the Lord wants to speak to his church. The only place Jesus can speak to his church from is from hell. It's from hell. And so when I stand and tell you privately and publicly that there's no body, there's no way God is speaking to the church from the dead. Isn't that what the rich man asked Jesus about Lazarus at the, at, at the bosom of Abraham? And Jesus said, it's not happening. They have the law and the prophets. Let them believe them because who did the law and prophets write about? Jesus. 
and then you tell me you died and you went to heaven. Your time in heaven is always very short. The bulk of your, of your, your vacation the bulk of your excursion is spent in hell. And Jesus, the son of God, that went and spoiled the key of hell and death, is the one in hell taking you on excursion. I'll show you, see this, see this cell? It's for Anini. You see this cell? It's for Dahosa. You see this cell? It's for Catherine Kuma. You see this cell? And, uh, and everybody that has ever done anything for the kingdom is in hell. You're wearing trousers. You're in hell. You pierced your ear. You're in hell. And God took you to hell. And that's all Jesus took you to hell to show you. Then tells you, now go back to earth. And go and tell my people what you have seen. The very same thing he told the rich man cannot happen with Lazarus. And we sit down and receive that familiar spirit who lying and sinker. Because they are pious and they are men of God. And the lady has come out and issued a video, public video in an event. Read her entire statement and how it was a lie from the pit of hell, she said. And so we teach and teach and teach and teach. And you know, the Bible says in that day they will heap upon themselves, you know, because they will have itchy ears. They will heap upon themselves false prophets. Doctrine is not established by preaching. Doctrine is established by teaching. And that's why teaching is a gift that preaching isn't. You know, you know, I said a while ago, about an hour ago, that that's why preaching is not a spiritual gift as it was. Everybody can declare it. Anybody, everybody should declare it. But teaching, uh-uh. Teaching is, it comes with training. Yes, sir. You have a gift. It is nurtured in the place of training. It's men that teach men. Let me try and move forward with this thing. Teaching establishes doctrine. Doctrine in turn, doctrine learnt, and doctrine practiced brings about spiritual growth. Does that make sense? So you could say a, a disciple is one who has heard doctrine, is learning doctrine, and practicing doctrine, and, and therefore is growing thereby. Does that make sense? Has heard doctrine, has believed, of course, believed what he heard, is being taught the doctrine, is deliberately practicing the doctrine, and his growth is evident thereby. That's a disciple. Anything other than that is a church member. The word disciples, the church is the word mathetio in the Greek. Mathetio. M Matthew, I see if I'm spelling Matthew, M-A-T-H-E-T-E-U-O, mathetio. That's the word disciple. So when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, that's the word for disciples, is Matthew in the Greek. And you need to understand what Jesus meant when he says, go and make disciples. The Christ conscious believer puts value on and submits to discipleship. You need to understand what the word disciple means in the light of everything I've said so far. Matthew in the Greek, M-A-T-H-E-T-E-U-O, Matthew. That's the word for disciple. That's the word for discipleship. And it means pupil. As in student, pupil, a child sitting to learn at the feet of another, pupil. It also means to help someone to progressively learn the word of God, specifically. Helping someone to progressively, somebody say progressively, learn the word of God to become matured, and growing disciple. To become a matured and growing disciple. That's the meaning of the word mathetio. It also literally means a learner. A true Christ follower. 
a follow follow of Jesus. Literally, literally, Matthew, a true Christ follower. It also means to train and develop someone in the truths of scripture and in the lifestyle required of that truth of scripture. It means, Matthew means to develop in the truths of scripture and the lifestyle required, helping a believer, helping a believer to learn to be a disciple of Christ in belief and in practice. That's the word Matthew. Helping someone to progressively learn the word of God to become a matured, growing disciple. Also, literally, it means a learner, a true follow, follow of Christ. It also means to train and develop in the truth. So you yourself are training and developing in the truth of scripture and the lifestyle that that truth of scripture requires. In other words, discipleship is not just you learning the word, but in doing what the learning of the word calls you into. That's a disciple. And so by that, that, that way, that's what Jesus says, by, by this they will know that you are my disciples. And I've said the same thing to you publicly. If I, Pav, I'm called to raise disciples, by the actions of the people that are following me, you know whether or not they are my disciples. Not by the fact that they hang around me. Not by the fact that they hang around me. A lot of people hang around Jesus who were not his disciples. And so, Robert hits the road in John chapter 6. From that moment on, a lot of them turned back and followed him no longer. Lifestyle required in belief and in practice. Look at Colossians chapter 1 and 28. Doctrine has to do with teaching, discipleship. It's a threefold discipline of thorough preaching, fervent or faithful teaching, and deliberate doing, deliberate practicing of the gospel. That's the making of disciples. Colossians 1.28. Him we preach, Paul says, warning every man and teaching, keruxete, every man in all wisdom, see that, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Him we proclaim, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man, what? Perfect in Christ. How do you present them perfect in Christ? Exhorting them and teaching them, training them, developing them. Are you following me? Instructing them. The word teaching includes to what? To prescribe to them. Did I scan, right? Prescribe to them, instruct them, cause them to learn. Cause them to grow. I want to present every man perfect in Christ. How does the TPT put this, this text? Colossians 1.28. Colossians 1.28. Christ is our message. We preach to awaken hearts and to bring every person into the full understanding of the truth. It has become my inspiration and passion in ministry to labor with a tireless intensity with his power flowing through me to present every believer the revelation of being his perfect one in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Famous text, New King James. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. You see why I said that teaching is a gift of the church. And then you now see how that gift works in men. As above preaching. Because preaching is not to believe us. 
Ephesians 4.11, and he himself, referring to Jesus, gave some, actually back up to verse 9, verse 8, go back up to verse 8. Yeah, verse 8. Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, yeah, going at the resurrection, he led captivity captive and he gave gift to men. I backed up so you can understand that that gave is the gift being referred to. Make sense? He ascended, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, verse 9. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? Verse 10. He who descended to the lower parts of the earth, right? Are you following? Is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might feel all things. Okay? That's the pretext. 11. And he himself gave some. That some there is the gift that he gave men. Are you following? And he gave, he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists. And sometimes the word evangelist is translated preaching because an evangelist is a witness. And some pastors and teachers. Now notice the, the fact that pastor and teacher are not separated. It doesn't go and some apostles and some evangelists and some, uh, some, some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. Did you see that? So most times it's a fivefold ministry, but really it's a pastor teacher together. All right. Verse 11 in the TPT. 4.11 TPT. Ephesians 4.11. And he has appointed some with grace to be apostles and some with grace to be prophets and some with grace to be evangelists and some with grace to be pastors and some with grace to be teachers. Well, like I said in the original text, there's no, there's no distinction between pastor and teacher. In Ephesians 4.11. Keep going. We're going all the way to verse 14 in the New King James. For the equipment of the saints, he gave this gift to some. For the equipment of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So we all come to a perfect man. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? That we should no longer be children. That's the whole idea. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Keep going. But speaking the truth, verse 15, the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. That's discipleship. Discipleship brings about maturity by the thorough preaching, fervent teaching, and deliberate practicing of the word of his grace, of the gospel, of the word of truth. Now these things, now he ascended, right? He gave gifts to who? Men. So Please, who is discipleship done by? Be honest with yourself. Who is discipleship done by? God or men? Who teaches people in maturity? God or men? I know it sounds like, hey, what are you saying? It is the truth. 
Yes, God working through men. Yes, but the instrumentality, sir, is men. That is the divine order. That is the New Testament pattern. Spiritual maturity, discipleship is done by men. And those of you that say, well, nobody taught me. Me and the Holy Spirit did it. I'm coming for you. Just give me 15 minutes. I will arrive at your junction. Discipleship is done by men. Because you see, this is what is causing a lot of young people to go crazy. What you hear people saying is just me and the Holy Spirit. Nobody taught me. I don't have a teacher. I don't have a disciple. I don't have... It's just me. The Lord teaches me. You will explain. Listen to what I wrote here. The great commission was not given to Jesus. It was given by Jesus to men that he had discipled. Have you been following me this evening? I, a long time ago, I told you that the great commission is not to win souls. I said, where? It's to make disciples by the instrumentality of the preaching of the gospel. And I said, that commission now was not given to Jesus. Hmm? Jesus gave it to men that he had discipled. Why? Because discipleship, hear me clearly, discipleship is by replication. Discipleship is by replication. Jesus discipled men, showed them and showed us by extension what the concept of discipleship is and then commissioned those men to go and make disciples of men for him. They are not disciples for the people that are discipling them. Do you understand? They are disciples of Christ or for Christ, but be made by men who themselves have been discipled. Are you following me? So who builds people up? Men. When you edify someone, who is edifying the person? A man. In whom the Spirit of God dwells and through whom the Spirit of God works. But there's nothing God will do on the earth outside the instrumentality of a man. Nothing. That's why there's this whole race in quote to possess a body. Oh my, are you getting what I'm teaching today? That's why there's a whole craze. That's why you, everybody is possessed by a spirit because it's only when a spirit possesses a body that that spirit can function in a particular space and time. Does that make sense? So Jesus himself said that when a demon is cast out of someone, the demon goes around and not seen any, anywhere else. And this particular person out of whom the demon was cast out leaves the space empty. That guy is going to come back with seven others because every spirit is always looking for a body to possess. Do you understand? A spirit's possession, a spirit's money, let me put it this way, a spirit manifestation in the sphere of earth in time and space is limited to the body that it possesses. Do you hear what I said? Yes, sir. The manifestation, the, the workings of a spirit are limited in expression to the possession of the body. A spirit needs a body to operate through. That's the whole case. So as soon as you're born again, what makes you born again? Your spirit is dispossessed 
of the enemy and possessed by the Holy Spirit. If he leaves you for a second, the, whole, the devil will possess you. The devil will possess you. How did Judas do did what he did? The spirit, and the Bible says, Satan, Satan, Satan entered Judas. Satan. So that's why the Holy Spirit is on, on the inside of us. He walks through men. And you will miss the workings of the Holy Spirit if you miss the men through whom he's working. Are you guys hearing me today? You will miss the workings of the Holy Spirit in your life if you miss the men through whom he's working it. God is working it through men. So who you see working it is men. Is men. The great commission was given by Jesus to men whom Jesus had disciples. So his instruction was commissioning disciples to go and make disciples. Do you understand it? That's why I said discipleship is how? By replication. And replication is different from duplication. Re duplication is to make something close to or like something. Replication is to make an exact replica, to make an exact copy of a particular thing. So even in media, we have disk duplication and we have disk replication. This replication is such that every CD you play is of the exact same beat rate, the exact same sample rate, the exact same resolution, the exact same quality as the master disk from which it was caught. Does that make sense? So it's not a disc played and then just others now, other empty discs that came from a different factory. So for instance, we cut a, a, a DDP master. We actually created the disc master in the studio such that if the material we are going to master is 47 uh, minutes long, the disc itself is actually 47 minutes long in laser length. Not the regular 80, 80 minutes or 76 minute disc that you then burn a 46 minute material onto it. Does that make sense? The disc is cut to that exact laser length and then you now go and buy, you now go to spa and buy a pack of 25 discs or, or Andy Best that are generic discs of 76 minutes or, or 86 minutes. And then you run those discs on 47 minute content. When you lift up the laser and have a look at it, you see that there are spaces in the difference of the laser color. You have your 47 minute content there, but between 47 minutes and 18 minutes, there is a blank space in the spectrum of the laser. That's a duplicated disc. A replicated disc actually makes the same substance of the master at factory level. So what we do in churches for messages and stuff is disc duplication. Does that make sense? But replication is to cut something of the exact substance as the original. So we are not duplicates of Christ. We are replicates of Christ. Do we understand what I'm saying? So Jesus raised the disciples and those disciples are now mandated to replicate. Are you following me? Replicate discipleship among other men. Disciples of whom? Disciples of Christ. Made by who? Made by men. Made for who? Made for Christ. Made through who? Made through men. It is men that disciple other men. That's the design. That's the divine order. Men disciple other men. Can we say that all together? Men disciple other men. That's the divine New Testament order. Don't let anybody else deceive you. Men disciple men.
There's no discipleship or spiritual growth outside the instrumentality of men. None. To follow Jesus, I've said it before over and over in a local church, to follow Jesus is to follow men. <laughs> to follow men that Jesus has raised before you. Because listen to me, ma. Listen to me, sir. There are people on this journey that God raised before you, that have traveled it before you. Don't deceive yourself. Don't. Don't. Don't deceive yourself. There are people that God has raised on this journey that have gone ahead of you. Men, men, men like you, flesh and blood, that have traveled and not gone ahead of you by virtue of time or experience as much as it is by virtue of depth in the things of the spirit. Do you understand? By virtue of grasping and laying hold and comprehending the things of the spirit. Of course, time does have a role to play, but I think hunger has a higher role to play than time. Because you're hungry for knowledge. You're hungry to come into the knowledge of something. You're hungry to grow. You will take everything. You, some things you will catch even when they're not being taught. I've taught my people over and over some things are taught. More things are caught. If you're a true disciple who are following, yes, sir. You, you realize that more things are caught than just the things that are taught. There are people that have, on, on this, you, must, you must come to terms with it. The sad thing is when you even know, but you don't want to admit it because you fear that in your admitting it, people realize that you are not as independently, spiritually powerful as you have presented yourself to be. And there are people like that, believe it or not, who do not want any other human being to get credit for their spiritual growth. It's them and the Holy Spirit. But there's somebody that you are reading in private. Oh, you know, you know now, don't do that. Don't do that. Now I've arrived at your junction. Don't do that. You know, there's somebody you follow, you read, there's somebody you quote, there's somebody whose articles and journals, I don't care if the person is dead. You are not a product of your own self, sir. Stop deceiving yourself and stop deceiving young people. There's somebody you follow. Oh, you might not want to see yourself as a person's disciple. It's because you didn't understand what Mateteo meant. Now, I've just taught you, sir, that that person you didn't know is your, the person that discipled you. You just didn't know. Or you knew, but you didn't want to say. You cannot follow Christ without following the measure of Christ in men that God has raised before you. People have gone ahead of you. There's no New Testament preaching that will cancel this. This is the New Testament preaching. Yes, sir. This is the New Testament teaching. There's no knowledge of Christ you will come into that will absorb you from the understanding and the acknowledgement and the recognition that God raised men ahead of you. Like I said when I started, don't let what happened to you where you were to destroy where you are now. I repeat, right? Don't punish where you are now. Because of what where you were did to you. So now nobody can teach you because one pastor broke your heart and ate your money. You are the one that was not wise. You are the one that was not wise. It's not the pastor's fault. Now that you know, can they eat your money? <laughs> just things, those charlatans pray only on the gullible and naive and the needs-based Christians. You that, it was not because you're looking for money doubling, 24-hour miracle. 
put put get put help twenty thousand get help two hundred thousand. Try my God, if I be a man of God, listen, that's the beginning of his scam. That's the beginning of his camp. And so now you don't believe that you can follow any, to follow Christ. Sir. To follow Christ, my darling, is to follow men in whom Christ dwells in a measure that has gone ahead of you. There's, listen, listen to me. There's men that understand the measure of God they are carrying on. Hey, are you hearing what I'm saying to you? You're, especially young people. There's men that understand Christ on their inside. There's men that understand it. There's men that understand it, learn to respect them all. The guy has a particular awareness for the healing grace. Our Ogo. He has a heightened awareness for healing. Heightened. First time I met him, I saw it. Ogo is looking for a sick person. He comes alive. When this is a sick person. Any sick persons here? Put your hand. Have you seen Ugo walk in, in, the, in the supernatural? He's mad. As simple as you say, put your hand wherever it is that is do. Start to do what you, can, you, you cannot do. Now, I heal the sick, but according to 1 Corinthians 12, healing this of diverse kinds of healings is a gift. Yes, Ugo has that gift. So what do we do? We respect the gift. If you are around me and they were about to pray for you and you are sick and Ugo is here, I will not pray for you. Not because I cannot. Are you following me? But because there is a gift in a man that I respect and I'm not troubled about. I'm not troubled about. I respect it. So I will say, come, Ugo is going to pray. Even on the phone. I will call Ugo pray. If you don't learn to respect the gift of God in men, you will miss out a lot on the move of God in your life. And please don't let anybody twist your head. Don't let anybody twist your head in the the meaning or in the the guise of new creation preaching. It's men that carry measures of God. There are people that are are aware of what they are carrying. There are people that are are aware. They are conscious. Isn't isn't that why we're teaching you to be Christ-conscious? Because you have a deficiency of Christ consciousness. Otherwise, you will not need me to be teaching you. If you're offended, you're not very wise. You have a deficiency of Christ consciousness somewhere. That's why you have somebody teach you. So that you come out of it and you to get to the point where you are now conscious enough to also make disciples of other men. Don't disrespect a vessel that carries a measure. God, 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 people have been raised before you, sir. There are people that have worked with God. There are people that are working with God. Mm. Yes, we all carry the Spirit of God. Yes, but we are not all aware of what we are carrying. At the measure that we ought to be aware of it. We are not all aware of it. We are not all aware of it. There are people that have gone ahead of us. There's no discipleship or spiritual growth outside the instrumentality of men. Discipleship is by replication. Let's go to scripture and lay this down. So go to Timothy 1.13. You see it for yourself now. And then you tell me whether Pab is preaching the gospel or another gospel, which is not another. Let's go. Second Timothy 1.13. Paul is telling Timothy, hold fast the pattern of sound words 
which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Play it again in the TPT. Allow the healing words you've heard from me, Paul is telling Timothy, to leave, go on, in you and make them a model for life as your faith and love for the anointed one grows even more. Make them a what? A model for life. Paul is telling Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. The Christ-conscious believer values and submits to discipleship. From verse 1. You therefore, okay, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, verse 2. And the things that you, Timothy, have heard from me, Paul, among many witnesses, commit these same things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Can you see the flow of discipleship? Switch to TPT. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Timothy, my dear son, live your life empowered by God's free-flowing grace, which is your true strength, found in the anointing of Jesus and your union with him. Verse two, and all that you've learned from me, confirmed by the integrity of my life, that's how it renders in the presence of faithful witnesses, right? Confirmed by the integrity of my life, deposit you, Timothy, deposit into faithful leaders who are competent to teach the congregations the same revelation. I mean, how much clearer could he get? Let's go again from the top of verse two. Verse two. Top of verse two. And all that you've learned from me, 2 Timothy 2, 2, TPT, all that you've learned from me, confirmed by the integrity of my life. Remember I said, thorough preaching, fervent teaching, and deliberate practicing. By the integrity of my life, deposit into faithful leaders who are competent to teach the congregations the same revelation. 1 Corinthians 4.16. We'll just scomb through. I want you to see it with your own eyes. And let's kill that misconception tonight in the name of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 4.16. 1 Corinthians 4.16. Paul says emphatically in the New King James, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. TPT. So I encourage you, my children, to follow the example that I leave before you. NLT. So I urge you to imitate me. Message. 1 Corinthians 4.16. I'm not, you know, asking you to do anything I'm not already doing myself. I'm not, you know, asking you to do anything I'm not already doing myself. Amplified. So I urge you, be imitators of me just as a child imitates his father. That in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every truth is established. 1 Corinthians 11 and 1. Same translations, 1 Corinthians 11 and 1. Just a few chapters later, to the same Corinthian church, he tells them in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. 
It pleases me that you continue to remember and honor me by keeping up the traditions of the faith I have taught you. All authority, that's the message, stems from Christ. How does the TPT put this? Okay, I want you to pattern your lives after me just as I pattern mine after Christ. I want you to pattern your lives after me just as I pattern mine after Christ. That's discipleship, you see. Men raising men. Men showing Christ to men. By their preaching, by their doing, by their teaching, by your following. Discipleship is by replication. If you're not following a man in whom there's Christ, you're not following. You're not. You're not. And again, like I said, you know, some, some people can get uncomfortable because oh, we have followed somebody that has gotten messed up before. You have not stopped living now because life messed you before. No? You wore a dress. You were preaching. It's happened to me before. I'm, I was preaching and my, my trousers ripped. Thank God for backup underneath. So now you're now vex. So you know what? I'm never going to wear clothes to preach again. <laughs> Why? Because clothes messed me up when I needed them most. So every time I'm going to preach, I'm going to go naked. After all, naked, I came out of my mother's womb. Have you done that? So can you realize that our reasoning is very warped and very selective and very mischievous? Now, things that are carnal, you do, not, you, 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 you do not tell yourself, I'm not going to do with them anymore. Like the example I give about the house yeah. and the cockroach. Carnal things, but spiritual things. You are quick to abdicate. You know why? Because you have deceived yourself to believe that that's the one area you think you have liberty. That's the truth. You can't just get up and leave school. But you can get up and leave church. Because that's the one area you think nobody can do anything to you. After all, the cross has paid for it. The grace of God that brings our salvation has appeared to all men, teaching them to flee ungodly lust. The grace of God is not licensed for nonsense. It teaches, it builds. You, it strengthens, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Hebrews 39, do not be carried about by, with various strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established, or kodomo, right? By what? Grace. Not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Established by grace. So yes, you, you went through something. It's fine. It's fine. Forgive those. Forgive them. But what you went through should not discolor perpetually what is ahead of you. Listen to me, child of God. Listen to me, beloved. There are pastors out there, pastors after God's heart. I'm telling there are pastors after God's heart out there. They are not far. They are not. Because God is, God values his sheep. You know, he says he leaves the 99 to go after the one. There is pastors after God's heart. Oh, everybody is chopping money. Everybody's doing it. There are people that are preaching the gospel for the gospel. They are, they are on the rise. They are manifesting. Where are we? 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, let's go to Philippians 3.17. Philippians 3.17. Paul is telling the Philippian church now. Brethren, 
So he tells Timothy on multiple occasions. He tells the Corinthian church on multiple occasions. Now he's telling the Philippian church. He says, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Join in following my example. That's discipleship. TPT, same text. My beloved friends, imitate my walk with God and follow all those who walk according to the way of life we modeled before you. Imitate, can you hear those emphatic words? Imitate my walk with God. And then those that are around who are doing what we have taught you, follow them too. That's the principle. That's my principle for dealing with other pastors. That's why I love Ugo the way that I do. I'm comfortable with him the way that I am and a bunch of other people. Because I'm comfortable with the likes of Pastor Mark and a few people that I relate with. Imitate my walk with God and follow the example of others that walk in the way that we walk. It's not so difficult, is it? Philippians 4.9, he tells them again. He never tells them once. He tells them multiple times. You'll see the pattern shortly. Philippians 4.9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. Start again. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. These do. And the God of peace will be with you. TPT. Do these things. Follow the example of all we have imparted to you. And the God of peace will be with you in all things. Follow the example. The things you have learned, the things you have received, the things you have heard, and the things you have seen. Do. So the things you are learning are for what? Doing. The things you have Received that for what? Doing. The things you have heard are for what? Doing. The things you have seen are for what? Doing. This do and experience the peace of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 1.6. 1 Thessalonians 1.6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord. This is the Thessalonian church now. And you became followers of us and of the Lord. Go on. Having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. You became followers of us and of the Lord. Second Thessalonians 3.9. Second Thessalonians 3.9. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. To make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. How does the TPT put this verse? It wasn't because we don't have the right to be supported, but we wanted to provide to you an example to follow. Discipleship is followership. Followership is discipleship. There's no spiritual maturity in the absence of discipleship. Whether you give due credit or not, everybody understood it somebody. Argue with yourself. Everybody understudied somebody. Everybody. Everybody. You might, like I said, you might want to give credit for it. You might not want to give credit for it. That's fine. No problem. Everybody understudied somebody. Everybody lent something under someone. 
everybody was influenced directly by someone. The people that stand and say, nobody taught me anything are the ones that read for more people than anybody else. I'm serious. You sit down, there's a particular person, you eat up. Eat up their books. So whether you give due credit or not, everybody understood it somewhat. Nobody is a product of only their own effort. Nobody is a product of only their own effort. The Holy Spirit, listen to this, the Holy Spirit will not bypass his set order in the church for your sake. You're not that special. <laughs> Let me repeat what I just said right. with my eyes open looking at you. I would have taken my glasses off just so I can't see you. <laughs> and look at you. Say, so look at my eyes. The Holy Spirit will not bypass his own set order in the church just because of you. You are not that special. An hour ago, I told you that the problem we are struggling with is that everybody is trying to diversify when faith brought us into unity. Everybody wants to stand out. No, we have all been standed out together. Together, we are the standout. Not me trying to stand out from you like I'm in competition with you. Did you hear what I just said? Yes, or you trying to stand out from me because you are in competition with me? You're not wise. You have not so learned Christ. I'm not so learned Christ. Did Apollos die for you? That's what Paul was telling the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 3, I think it's 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. Put it up. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? Verse 5. Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. So what's the competition? You want to outdo me. I want to outdo you. You want to outshine me. I want to outshine you. You want to have your personal, special revelation of God. From where? From where? This is a personal revelation the Lord gave me. When somebody else preaches it, you get offended. Are we not supposed to be of one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one Lord and Father of all? Are we not supposed to all come to the... Listen, how we know we are following Christ is that we are all preaching the same thing. Yes, sir. It's not supposed to be different. You're supposed to run into any denomination, any local church, any assembly, anywhere in the world and hear the same gospel. Yes, Nobody's that special. Holy Spirit will not bypass what he ordained. Do you understand? He set some apostles. He set some evangelists. He set some uh, prophets. He set some pastors and teachers. But then he now ignored all of them to reach you. Because you are a friend of God. We are a fool's or, or what? No. He won't bypass order. Because if he's bypassing order, then the example he's giving us is an example of us bypassing order. And it says in 1 Corinthians 14 and 40, let all things be done decently and in order. 1 Corinthians 14, 40. So, and I didn't say that the Holy Spirit cannot bypass order. I just said that he just does not bypass. Does that make sense? Just like he can kill you, but he doesn't kill. Because we must be careful to not rob the Holy Spirit of the power that he has. Do you understand? Or rob God of the sovereignty that he has. God can do anything. There's nothing God cannot do. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's nothing God cannot do. Nothing cannot do. There's nothing. He can lie if he wants to lie. He's all powerful. To say that God cannot lie is to mean that there's some power that God does not have control over. Do you understand? So the fact that he does not does not mean he cannot. 
God is all powerful. There's nothing outside his scope, or else he's not God. Enough. Does that make sense? Huh. So the Holy Spirit can bypass order. He can show up in walls. He can. He can. He, he has the power to. But will he? No. Not according to the pattern of his word. Do you understand the difference? He does not. He, he's the one that sets the gifts in the body for the nurturing of the body and he put the gifts in men. Amen? Everyone is inadvertently wired for discipleship. Whether you know it or not, you are following somebody in your pursuit of life. You might as well be deliberate about it. Whether you know it or not, you are following somebody. You might as well open your eyes and be deliberate about it and identify who it is that you have realized you are following and follow well or change following. Because you might be following the wrong person. Is that a possibility? Is that a possibility? You're not a law unto yourself or, or, and God only. Nobody is. I wrote here, if you think you are, if you think you're a law unto yourself, only you and God, you are a dangerous person and you're not part of the body of Christ. The church is told to mark people like you. Much walk, mark people like this who are going contrary to the teaching. Anybody who despises the importance of discipleship, and submission to the measure of Christ in men who have gone ahead of you is a threat to the stability and order of the church. Let me repeat that. Anyone who despises the importance of discipleship and submission to the measure of Christ in men who have gone ahead of you. Because they are men of God, they are people. Yeah? When you say men of God, believers. Because we are all men of God. All right? They are men that have gone ahead of you in their grasping of spiritual things. There are also men that you have gone ahead of in your grasping of spiritual things. Do you understand what I'm saying? You yourself, there are men you have gone ahead of. You understand the people that have gone ahead of you and you understand the people that you are ahead of so that you can follow and transmit what you have received to those who can teach others. So anybody who, who despises the importance of discipleship and submission to the measure of Christ in men who have gone ahead of you is a threat to the stability and order of the New Testament church. You cannot be a Christ-conscious believer and be averse or be opposed to discipleship. You cannot. You cannot be in a place called to serve with or under someone and not be subject to them. You cannot cannot be in a place and you say, this is my pastor, this is my leader, and you are not subject to them. You cannot. The only choice you have is whether or not to be there. Not how to be there. You don't have the choice of how to be there. You only have the choice of whether or not to be there. I wrote two things here. If you're not comfortable to end up like your leader, leave your leader. Because you will not follow well if you're not following a leader you are comfortable enough to end up like. Uh, Jesus, help your people to get what I'm saying today. You must look at where your leader is now and be honest with yourself. If a few years down the road, if this is where your life ends up, are you comfortable? Are you happy enough to say, you know what, I followed this person and I ended up as this person is. If you don't like what you see, leave your leader today. You are following the wrong leader. Because that defeats the whole purpose of discipleship. 
You must be comfortable enough that the measure of Christ you are after, if you attain that as in the man you are following, you are happy, you are grateful, then follow. If you have doubts about it, leave. Nothing is worth losing, messing this journey up. That's where hero worshiping comes in. Where you start to follow a man because of a man, because you want to be loyal to a man. No, you're loyal to Christ in the manu. I've taken time to establish that, right? Christ, the Christ as is in a man that has gone ahead of you. So you must be comfortable enough that as you follow, like, like the emphatic statements that Paul makes about them following him as he's following Christ, about his life being models of the gospel. If you are following somebody and you are not comfortable, if you end up ending up like them, I mean, you should, you should technically and you are expectedly, you should be better off. That's the whole idea of being discipled. Do you understand? So at worst, you end up like your leader and you don't like it. Leave. Change leader. You're wasting your time and your leader's time. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're wasting your time and leader's time. There are other people that are happy to follow and imitate this person and get to where they, they, they ought to get to because they're comfortable with where this person is. Does that make sense? Make space for them and look for someone that's big enough to absorb your own expectations. Amen. Second statement. Second statement. If you feel you are called to serve with your leader and you will love the result of following, the result of following and being like them, then don't hold back. Jump in and follow. Ignore the voices. Ignore the voices. Scriptures were rooting for our learning that by understanding these things we can lay hold of hope. That's what Paul says in Romans. Takes you to Elijah and Elisha, right? Elisha is following and everywhere he stops. Gilgal, Bethel, uh, where they, they, they started, off, started off in Gilgal, heading to Bethel, left Bethel, heading to Jericho, left Jericho, heading to Jordan. And in all the cities, the sons of the prophets will always come and tell Elisha, do you not know that your master will be taken away from your, you today? You, know, you don't know so your own don't finish. Pretty much. Are you following an expired prophet? And Elisha always says to them what? I know, hold your peace. The voices are always there. Even of Jesus and the disciples, the voices are always there. The hustlers are there. The mothers who are coming to say, Jesus, these are your two favorite, just in case you didn't know, let me just inform you now that these are your two favorite disciples, James and John. I raised them where Zebedee, their father, is a very respectable guy. And whenever they come home, all they're talking about is all you're teaching. So I just came to let you know, in case you didn't know, that you know your star disciples are James and John. So in your, that your kingdom that, you, that, that, that they say you are preaching about, when, when the kingdom comes, on the right, choose one. Okay, let me, let me choose for you. Put John on your right. On the left, the, the way John is looking, James is looking, let's put James. There will always be those hustling voices. Are you following me? Yes, sir. There will always be those voices. But once you understand that this is who I'm following, this is the measure of Christ that I'm comfortable aspiring towards, lock in, lock in. You know when, it, when a missile locks in on its target? It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how you maneuver. Once there is a lock, it's target on. Once you find that, beloved, lock in and chase your target. Ignore the voices. Ignore it. Uh, I, they always come to abort you halfway. 
They are not doing it and they don't want you to do it. And they have a way of telling you how everything is wrong about everything you're doing. The commentators are never good at playing in the game. Once you find that person, lock in and follow. Pour your everything into it. Discipleship is to forsake all and to follow. At all costs, not on your terms. I wrote here as I close, I preach to many in our meetings weekly. But those that I'm pastorally responsible for are much less in number. I've said this before on Facebook. I've said it in our local church. People that I know I'm their pastor. Among those of you who are watching and saying I am your pastor, the number is very few. People that I am instructing, people that are following me for godly scriptural doctrinal prescription, the people that say I am the one they are imitating are very few. Very few. There a bunch of people who are around me are not following me. They're not imitating me. They're doing their own thing. Carrying out relationships their own way. Chasing lives their own way. Living their lives their own way. We just gather and we have fellowship and we have fun. I know the most dangerous thing about discipleship is when you feel like because you're cool with your pastor that he's discipling you. Let me say that again. One of the most dangerous things about discipleship is for you to misinterpret a cool relationship you have with your pastor as though he's, you, are this, he's, you are his disciple. Does that make sense? The fact that you have a cool relationship, you can talk with your pastor, you can hang and stuff, does not make you a, an effective disciple. A disciple is one who is replicating. Like I said, who is comfortable to follow this person as his yardstick and model so that if I'm not careful, my fall affects you. And so I steady the plow and the Lord helps me to steady because of your sake. Does that make sense? For your sake, he keeps me strong because he knows that you're following the measure of him that's in me. That's when you're a disciple. But a lot of times we confuse the fact that you have a cool relationship. Oh, daddy, papa, you know, pastor. He looks so dapper, pastor. He looks so cool. How you doing? Have you eaten today, pastor? You're right. What would you like to eat? All those things are nice. Listen to me. Look at me carefully. Feed me. Don't let the devil lie to you. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Feed me. When I mean feed me, no, you don't feed me the word. No, 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 no. I I got that. Feed me food. That's what the Bible says, right? I'm feeding you this one. You are feeding me the one that I need after I finish feeding you this one right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? No, feed me. Just do not think that you are my disciple because you feed me food. Mm -mm. Don't confuse yourself. Oh, by all means, honor me. I'm worthy of double honor. Me, I know what I'm doing. I'm teaching. I'm laboring over you. But don't think that you you are my disciple because you honor me. I honor you, pastor. Do you not feel like you're a disciple? No, sir. No, sir. Disciple is imitation. It's, it's determining for yourself that there is the measure of Christ in a man enough for me to follow and go somewhere. And therefore, I follow. Voices, hold your peace. We didn't come this far listening to voices. We didn't come this far listening to voices. Voices, hold your peace. Naysayers and gainsayers and activists and advisors hold your peace. And most times people advise you based on their own nasty experiences, not based on revelation.
Hold your peace. Stand in the plow and follow. Don't confuse a co-relationship with your pastor or your leader for the fact that you're a good disciple. Don't. You look at your life, look at their life, look at what you're learning. Paul says the things that you learned, the things you received, the things you heard, the things you saw, do. That's the measure of discipleship. Am I doing? Like, am I fervent in prayer? Like, am I fervent in giving? Like, am I an impact to people around me? Like, do I leave a good fragrance with the people around me? Like, am I selfless? Like, am I Christ conscious? Like, am I committed to the word? Like, am I passionate about the word? Like, you are hanging around me, for instance, and you're not passionate about the word. You are not a disciple of mine. Because what I'm handing to you is what has been handed to me. And that is a legacy of fervency with the word. Fervency with the word. Fervency to engage with the word at all costs. Even if it kills you, what else are you living for? That's the legacy I have. That's the legacy I'm passing to you. Fervency, consistency at all costs. I wake up in the morning, I think of the fact that, man, the person that raised me has been doing this for 46 years. Full-time ministry. Has seen it all, been there, done that, and he wakes up every morning and does what God has called him to do. Dude, my friend, wake up, get to work. Does that make sense? And so I pass that down to you. That's the Christ conscious believer. You are conscious of it in your walk with God. You are mindful of the measure of Christ at work in those that have gone ahead of you. You place a premium on it. You gravitate towards it. You imitate it. And you do it consciously. Those I pastor and pastorally responsible for are much less in number. And those who are closing off and are being actively discipled are even fewer. And many people around me, there are very few of them that are my disciples. Very few. Somebody came to me the other day to have a meeting with me. She came from outside a local church and said, I came to speak to you about one of your sons. I said, hey, 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 before you proceed, it's not you that can tell me who is my son. Just tell me the person. Tell me the person's name. Do you understand? And then allow me to be the one to answer whether or not the person is my son. Because everybody can say father. Only a father knows who his real sons are. In terms of their following. Not a son because you hang around. Remember when we go back, we goes back, we, we, this takes us back to the part where we dealt about how the Christ conscious believer appropriates the rights, benefits, and responsibilities of sonship. It's not hanging around. It's not showing up when I go up to, when I show up to minister, you show up with me. Hey, 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 pal. And what boys, pal. That's not, that's not discipleship. It's a conscious effort to establish for yourself that this is in this person, in this person, in this man, 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 in this who, in this who, in this man, get it into your head. In this man is the measure of Christ I can follow. Or not. Does that make sense? Either way, or not. In this man at this time is a measure of Christ I can follow. Because in following this man, there's a pattern of Christ he has established according to God's word that if I imitate, I will attain. That's the discipline of discipleship. Preach, do, teach. Let me read something as I close. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I hope that... Whew. So we keep teaching. This is why we keep teaching. We keep teaching. Teaching the word of truth. Teaching the word of life. Pointing men to Christ. 
challenging them to follow so that as they behold him in us without distractions, in spite of the distractions, they can become him. He's formed in them in greater measure. Now Paul says in Galatians 4, my little children, I think it's Galatians 4.19, my little children for whom I labor as with birth pangs, that Christ be formed in you. How does the TPT put it? Galatians 4.19, that Christ be formed in you. You are my dear children, and I, but I agonize in spiritual labor pains once again until the anointed one will be fully formed in your hearts. Fully formed. It's labor, people. It's labor. I wrote here in conclusion, I saw something online a while ago. I'll just read that as I close. Disciples forsake the world and cling to Jesus till he comes. Converts don't. Disciples are not engaged in a cultural war. Converts are. Disciples cherish, obey, and share the word of God. Converts don't. Disciples choose Jesus over anything and everything else. Converts don't. Converts run when the fire comes. Disciples don't. Christ-conscious believers, one who values and therefore submits to discipleship. Christ laid a pattern for us. It's a clear pattern. It's a systematic pattern. It is an acceptable pattern. It's a Christ pattern. To prove our followership of Christ is to follow his pattern. And that's all we're doing as a word abiding house. Following his pattern. That's all. I'm not trying to remix it to suit our own personal proclivities. No. We're not doing this because it's fun. We're not trying to, to, to disciple people because it's fun to control them. No. If you know, if those of you that hang around me know me. I'm not one for control. But you must be accountable and submit to training in God's word by a man. That's the pattern. God is teaching using men. God is edifying using men. God is prophesying using men. God is causing Christ to be formed in men using men. In the same way that God is meeting needs using men. Why do you believe one and disbelieve the other? He's chastising using men. He's reproving using men. He's instructing using men. Learn to identify men that have gone ahead of you in this work with God. Because there are men that have gone ahead of you. They are. They are. You know in your heart. You know. You know. You know. You don't want to admit that, oh, this is my pastor. You don't want to admit that this is who I, I'm influenced by. You don't want to admit that this is whose materials I, I, I eat and I feast on. But do, because when you do, you come into conscious discipleship and therefore you can then pass, other, pass it down because otherwise you will raise renegades like you. You give people truth without order. Did you hear what I said? You give people truth without order. You raise renegades like you rebels who think they are, they are, they are so woke and they are in such light that they, they are an authority to themselves. And that is not the pattern of the New Testament because no single believer is the church. No single believer is the church. No single believer, the, 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 the concept of the New Testament is church is a community concerted effort, not a singular person on your own. We do it together at different levels as God has placed us. Different levels 
There are people that have got this thing. They know, they know this thing. Humble yourself. Follow. Humble yourself. Follow. Admit. Teach me. Sit down. And if you're there, you're, an, you're a superior, you're an elder, stop leading young people astray. Because you, you know who you studied. You know. You know whose articles you read. You know whose books you read. You know whose journals you read. You know who impressed heavily upon you the knowledge that you now know. Don't raise people and give them the impression that, you know what, it's you and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is using the gift of men. That's he gave gifts to some for the building of the same. He knew what he was doing. Don't you, don't you think so? He knew what he was doing to entrust it to men. That's why it was important for Jesus to raise men. Otherwise, Jesus could have just come, died for our sins, gone back and continued to run the thing from heaven. Think about it. He came, he came to forgive sins. He didn't need men to follow him for him to forgive sins. If you think about it. He didn't need men to follow him. He didn't need followers to forgive their sins. In fact, when they were following him, their sins weren't even forgiven. Because he hadn't died yet. Huh? So why did he take time to raise followers? Because he was establishing the pattern. There is men that do this work. Men in whom God dwells. Men that are in touch with a particular measure. Father, I thank you for your word. I hope and I pray, as I said earlier, that you're able to unpack, unpack this in the hearts of your people. And we understand the place of your heart as concerning discipleship. We're able to humble ourselves and learn. We're able to come into better, deeper, stronger that you have in store for us by the deliberate, thorough, fervent, faithful teaching of your word and by the ability of your people to submit themselves to the same and be formed thereby. Thank you, Father. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.